بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمده ونسلی علی رسولی الکریم اما بعد الحمدللہ tonight is the 16th of December in the year 2023 Alhamdulillah we moved on to the 44th night that we're going through the exalted and dear life of the illustrious companion Sayyidina Abu Hurairah and I spent a few sessions taking a glimpse into his awesome taqwa so on the same subject it is related a man once asked Sayyidina Abu Hurairah what is taqwa Abu Hurairah replied have you ever walked on a thorny path the man said yes Abu Hurairah then asked how did you traverse such a path the man said when I saw any thorns I moved away from them when around them or I retracted from them. Sayyidina Abu Huraira thereupon said, that is taqwa. This is in Behaki in his Zuhd al-Kabir, number 963, and Hafiz ibn Abd al-Bar rahmatullahi in his Jan Bayan al-Ilm. So look how beautiful. Taqwa, has a, there's a very deep meaning to taqwa. And you can, you know, ask me after. Abu Hurairah broke it down so beautifully. A simple but most beautiful description of this most essential trait of the belief. And those of us who are old enough, when you go back to the polar parts of the world, there's stones. And just as you would walk carefully on that particular <coughs> stretch of land, why are you doing that so you don't get harmed? Abu Hurairah said, that is taqwa, because you tread carefully. So taqwa itself is loosely translated into the fear of Allah. It has a far more deeper meaning. Is it essential to have? Yes. Because right at the beginning of the Quran in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alif Lami, Thalika al-Kitab, La Reiba Fi, Hudallil Muttaqeen. Alif, alif Lam Mim. This is the book in which there is no doubt a guidance for the people of Taqwa. Hudallil Muttaqeen. So Allah Ta'ala has put a condition from getting guidance from the Quran. Because the people of Taqwa will take guidance from the book. And that's why people aren't guided by the Quran. <coughs> so how critical is it therefore to have that trait? Because if you haven't got it, how are you going to get guidance? So Allah Ta'ala is telling you, this is how important it is to have this. And of course, this is just like Iman, there's different levels. So our taqwa, obviously, is not like Abu Hurairah's, but we strive to keep on bettering our Iman and our taqwa by the grace and mercy of Almighty Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And also, there's a report where the Prophet Sallallahu he said, you will never truly have, and I'm paraphrasing, you will never be truly God-fearing until you avoid what is lawful for fear that it is unlawful. This is recorded in Tirmidhi. So this is a trait of a person of taqwa. He keeps away from the halal because there's a doubt. And obviously, you know, if another Muslim brother goes, well, brother, it's, the doubt is very small, you know, there's no problem. Inshallah, there's no problem. 
But if a brother or sister stares by, he goes, no, brother, I'm not saying you don't take it or you don't get involved, but I don't personally want to get involved in this. The Prophet Wasallam said, that is taqwa. You have acquired taqwa. So not all these different ways this trait is explained. But here, Abu Huraira, and this is probably the most simplest, he asked that man, how do you traverse with his stones? And he goes, I walk to the side, I step back, I brush it to one side. Because that's it. Because that's taqwa. Subhanallah. And also, clarifying further, Abu Salama, rahmatullah, he said, Sayyidina Abu Huraira, he heard a man saying, the wrongdoer harms only himself. Abu Huraira turned to him and said, that is not true. By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even the buzzard dies in its nest due to the sins of the wrongdoer. Subhanallah. This is in Behaki, Ibn Jarir, Ibn Kathir's Tafsir, volume 5, page 482 of the English translation. So let's look at this. <coughs> so the man, and this is a common statement, you hear it all the time. I'm only harming myself with the, you know, in fact, you might have even said that. Thank you for your, uh, you know, nasiya, but I'm only harming myself. It's between me and my Lord. And the response is, you're wrong. Abu Huraira said, that is not true. Then he swore an oath by Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, even the buzzard, that's a bird, dies in the nest due to the sins of the transgressor. So if it's only you who's getting harmed, why is that bird dying? Your sins are causing harm to birds. And can there be a greater harm to a bird than dying? It doesn't even say it stops its rizq. It gets ill because it dies. So what is our mindset now of sin? Our mindset of sin is that it doesn't just affect us. An example of this, out of many. In Ibn Imajah number 4019, Hakim in his Mustadrak Sahih, Shaykh al-Bani Sahih, in Sahih al jami number 7978, and As-Sahih number 106. Abdullah ibn Umr, radiyallahu anhu, he released an messenger, said, O Muhajirun, you may be afflicted by five things. God forbid that you live to see them. Firstly, if fornication becomes widespread, you should realize that this has never happened without new diseases befalling the people which their forebears never suffered. <coughs> so let's look at this. The Prophet ﷺ said, May you not see these five things, O Muhajiru. The first thing he mentioned was fornication, zina. If it becomes widespread, what did the Prophet ﷺ say? He goes, you will notice that diseases will emerge. And what's strange about these diseases, you haven't got a history of it. So it's not like, oh yes, this is the new... It's not. One only needs to have a brief scan of the history of sexually transmitted diseases to confirm this prophecy of our beloved Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The most recent being the AIDS epidemic, which first erupted in the sodomist community. Where did they come from? And look at all those adverts, I can still remember they were young enough. They go, you know, careful this, that, what? Where did, and then Muslims are sleeping. Why is that? What's this? Has it happened before? No, it's a new one. It's a new one. The Prophet is telling you. So let me ask you a question. 
was that sin only harming the one committing it? There you go. Abu Huraira is telling you. So the guy who's, you know, maybe Billah, you know, he's Muslim, but he's doing, committing that horrific sin. Shaitan might whisper to him, you're only harming yourself, don't worry. No, you're not. Epidemics are caused by these sins. Similar report. Our beloved messenger said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, my ummah will remain in good shape until illegitimate children become prevalent amongst them. When this happens, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will surely inflict them with a widespread punishment. This is recorded in Targheeb, volume 3, page 277, and Warul Bayan, volume 5, page 460 of the English translation. So are we not in a community where it's common to have illegitimate children? Yes. So the Prophet said, you're going to be afflicted with a wide punishment, widespread. And look at the Muslim world. Every country has problems. One of the reasons the Prophet said was illegitimate children. But when the man and woman were committing that act, what did they think? We're only harming ourselves. No, you're not. Widespread punishment. Your sins are affecting everybody. Part of the punishments have been mentioned as well as the fact. According to another report in Kanzul Umal, our beloved Messenger mentioned that most of Dajjal's followers would be illegitimate children. Subhanallah, we are seeding our way to destruction. <laughs> people say, you know, how many times have people said, <coughs> Dajjal, when is he coming? Don't worry about Dajjal. Worry about yourself. You're triggering him to come. And he goes, how am I triggering? I'm a pious person. He goes, brother, I'm not, I don't want you to publicize sins, but I've heard that you, uh, you know, you spread your seed. <laughs> right? And he goes, well, you spread my seed. I'm a farmer. I'm not talking about that seed. And then he goes, oh, don't worry about that. I'm a far-time namazi. You are causing Dajjal to emerge. Because illegitimate children, most of Dajjal's followers are illegitimate children. So if there's no illegitimate children, who's going to be his followers? Think about that. And isn't there enough illegitimate children now for him to have a solid force? And who's caused it? You, because you think it is only affecting you. Another example. Our beloved messenger said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, whenever they defraud measure and scale, they are then afflicted by famines, scarcity of provision, and oppression from their rulers. This is in Ibn Imajin, number 4019. Hakim in his Sahih. And Shaykh al-Bari, rahmatullahi stated Sahih. In Sahih al-Jami, number 7978. And as number 106. So, if you cheat people, basically, scales. But not, it doesn't just mean physical scales. Transactions as well. You cheat, you'll be afflicted by famines. So people say, well, you don't get afflicted. You're not in a Muslim land, you idiot. You're not in a Muslim land, right? And you go, oh, yeah, right? And then you go, every bloody year there's a famine somewhere in a Muslim land. African subcontinent, you know, Indian, so Indian. So they think, brother, look, don't keep, you know, depressing, man. Stop flipping, cheating. Secondly, scarcity of provision. Haven't the price of food commodities shot up in some parts of the Muslim world? Why? Because you're flipping cheating people. Scarcity of provision because you can't even afford basic food stuff. And thirdly, oppression from rulers. Congratulations. You get what you put in. So imagine, you rip somebody off and you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to kill him there. No, you've killed the ummah. 
So what does this tell you? Abu Huraira's statement, he goes, don't ever make that statement that the sin only harms yourself. He goes, even the buzzard dies in the nest due to the sins of the wrongdoer. Now, why is this an important thing to hammer into our hearts? Because shaitan always whispers that into your head. When you're about to commit a sin, he goes, don't worry. He goes, it's just between you and your Lord. So stay away, you say, no, it's not. I'm now an enemy to Rasulullah's ummah. When you think like that, it makes it more difficult to commit this sin. Because you might not be bothered about yourself. People even say that. I'm a bothered with that. But I'm dying for my kids. He goes, well, I don't know about dying for your kids. Stop sinning. And he goes, eh. He goes, because you're killing your kids by sinning. Then the guy starts scratching his head. He goes, I don't get that. Brother, what do you mean? I stopped smoking in the house. And he goes, listen. Right? The response is, learn your deen. So who taught us that? Abu Huraira. He goes, don't. And what's interesting, in the Sahaba's time, they were making these statements. So obviously now it's going to be common. Indeed, it would greatly anger Sayyidina Abu Huraira if he found anyone violating the divine commands. For instance, in Behaki Asbahani Targhib number 1487, Safwan ibn Sulaim, he said, Sayyidina Abu Huraira once came to the neighborhood of Al Hurra. He saw a man carrying milk and he was selling it. The man had mixed water in it. Sayyidina Abu Huraira thereupon said to him in anger, How will it be with you when you are asked on the day of judgment to remove the water from the milk? He says, How are you going to do that? And the man was silent. So now let's look at this. Easily people do this. This is common back home. People come around selling milk. What if they put water in it? You can't tell. So Abu Huraira, how did you know that? That's interesting. How did you know this man's mixed in with water? Allah alim. Maybe it was a kalamat. Maybe he had expertise. Allah Ta'ala knows best. What did he say to that man? He goes, how are you going to move that water from the milk on the day of judgment? Think about that. Even on the earth, separate it. If you can't separate it, what does it mean? You're going to get punished. That's what he was really saying. He goes, you've invited wrath. By doing this. And this happened in the time of Umar. Remember Umar was doing his rounds. And then a woman said to her daughter. Her mother said to her daughter. Mix water with it. Uh, mix water with the milk. So the daughter goes. Astaghfirullah. He goes. Because Amir al-Mu'minin has prohibited this. So the mother goes. He's not here now is he? So the daughter goes. What about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Now what's shocking. Whilst they were having that conversation. Umar was outside. So Umar said to his servant Aslam, mark this door. <laughs> Remember this address basically. So anyway, what happens? He comes back and he goes and visits this family. So then he's shocked thinking, what's the Amir al-Mu'min want with us? He enters and then he says, I overheard your conversation the other day. So the mother then goes, oh Amir al-Mu'min, oh, forgive us this, that. He goes, don't do it again. But then he says, who was the woman who said to you, what about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Because that was my daughter. So then he asked that woman, is your daughter married? She goes, no. And Hazrat Umar said, I found a match for her. And he's his own son asked him. And then he said to the woman, are you happy to marry him? So she went bashful and asked him, are you happy? He goes, yes. And the marriage was arranged. From that marriage, 
they were blessed with a daughter. So that daughter was Umar's granddaughter. Yes? From that daughter came Umar bin Abdul Aziz, the second Umar, who was spreading Islam just like his great grandfather. So the scholars say from one act of taqwa, we got Umar bin Abdul Aziz. When people say, oh, how great is taqwa? Imagine behind those closed walls, a mother was talking to her daughter and a woman showed taqwa. Allah Ta'ala took that incident, he benefited the entire world with it. So look how interesting, when you have taqwa, you benefit the entire world. When you commit sins, you destroy. Now why is it shocking? Because the kofar are fond of the carbon footprint. Because, you know, your footprint, you got it, it's very important. You got to sort out the pollution, you got to do this and that. The world is crying out. <laughs> so we this body certainly is crying out. But it's not just crying out from pollution, it's crying out from sins. And then he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, well, we don't know about that. And he goes, well, there you go, in there. You know, you're not Muslim, we don't, but, but you're Muslim, what are you playing at? What's more important, pollution or shirk? You're committing shirk, right? And how do we know the world will reset? Because in a very interesting hadith, in Darimi, Sahih hadith, the Prophet wasallam said, a person will put a seed in Mount Safa and it will sprout. Safa and Marwa is Makkah, it's desert. Why is a seed sprouting? Because Christ is returned. And the Prophet said, what a great time it would be when Christ returns. Why? Because people are pious. The world resets. <coughs> so not taqwa. And that hadith of the milk with the daughter and mother is in Ibn Himan. Another example. Abu Mutawakkil, rahmatullah he said, Sayyidina Abu Huraira radiyallahu he had a black female slave who had caused grief to the entire household due to something she had done. Abu Huraira just raised his whip over her one day and said, had it not been for qisas, retaliation on the day of judgment, I would have beaten you unconscious. However, I shall now sell you to someone who will pay your price in full. Go, you are free for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is in Abu Naim al-Hiriya, volume 1, page 384, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 4, page 347 of the New English Translation. Let's look at this. So he's got a female slave. We don't know what crime she committed. The whole household is upset with her. So maybe she stole something. Maybe she broke something. God knows. We don't know. Abu Huraira is angry with her, meaning she has done something serious. He's about to strike her. So at that point, you're thinking, well, Abu Huraira's mashallah, at the end of the day, he's a human being. And he goes, if it wasn't for retaliation, I would have beaten you unconscious. He goes, you know, at the end of the day, he's a human being. And he goes, but now I'm going to sell you to someone who will pay your price in full. You're thinking, well, he's just a human being. But the last bit suddenly changes the whole narrative. He goes, you are free for the sake of Allah. So imagine that woman, Abu Huraira radiyallahu Note did not want to pass on this lowly slave unto another. But he freed her for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hoping that by through this benevolent act, she would also mend her ways. But now as a free woman. Subhanallah, what nobility. Now think about that. And this is a classic example of a hadith. You better complete it. Because if you miss the last statement of this hadith, you're thinking Abu Hurairah is going to beat her unconscious. What happened to the rise of slaves? The response is, you haven't completed the report, you're fruitcake. 
And then he's going to sell it. He goes, I want the price in full. And who was he selling it to? Somebody who was going to pay the price in full. Uh, who's that? He's feeling for Allah. He's selling it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Come on, brothers. You know, it's not nuclear physics, is it? Right? Instead of saying, I'm freeing you, he goes, I'm going to pay your price. I want it in full. So she's expecting the worst. He's going to sell me to some, you know, even, you know, a wretched person. He said, I'm free. Why did he do that? Why did he talk like that? Because he's a companion. It's not like me and you daydreaming when you're quoting hadiths. Right? And then what happened? He did that so that she would feel ashamed. She's thinking, I was expecting him to, you know, strike me, you know, beat me, sell me to, a, you know, somebody who was worse than him. He's freeing me. How guilty was she have felt? Thinking, what have I done to hurt this noble family? But this is how great Abu Hurairah was. And this shows he was a person of taqwa because he clearly said, had it not been for Qisas, if I didn't fear retaliation, I would have beaten you unconscious. But look what he did instead of that. And this is pure Iman, pure taqwa, he was manifesting. But at the same time, this is why they changed the world. People say, how did the Sahaba change the world? Well, I mean, you with it, brother. We can't even change our own household. Right? If a people change the world, there's something amazing about them. And a person can't put their finger on it. Why? Because they don't study. You go, oh, because they were great people. I could have told you that, brother. Right? Could you just give me some, you know, you know, examples? Here's an example. This isn't normal. This is something else. So what impact do you think it's going to have? All these things that they're doing. The world changed. Islam reached us. It was a wonder. So what I mentioned again today was a few examples of the immense taqwa of Sayyidina Abu Huraira First, the description of taqwa. He gave such a beautiful description. And then I clarified upon a misconception that sins do not only harm yourself, they harm others. And then uh, the example of the people who he was going to rebuke or discipline, but he held back due to the fear of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Are there any questions? Let us. Subhanallah bihamdi, subhanaka Allahumma bihamdika, ashtu la ilaha illa anta astaghfirika, adubu alayka, adubu alayhi wa shaitan jim, subhanallah bihamdi, 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 subhanallah b